0: You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Amen. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles turn to Mark chapter number 7. Mark chapter number 7. Wow! I love that song, Behold Our God. Isn't that good? When it says you will reign forever and we just I could just sing that like 20 times in a row. And just the fact that God is going to reign forever, sometimes the world around us it seems like seems like evil, the devil, sin, seems like it's all winning. But I promise you, uh, in the end, God, he's going to reign forever. And uh, so thankful for that song and just how it ministers. Uh, To my heart, we're going to continue in our series of Mark, and uh, we are going verse by verse through Mark, and our series is entitled Jesus, and I'm so thankful for what God has done in my heart and in the uh, life of our church as we have uh, gone through uh, this series. It's been a couple weeks uh, since we've been in it. Uh, Of course, Pastor uh, Mike preached uh, last week uh, when I was away on my study sabbatical, and then the week prior to that was the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We kind of looked at uh, the Lord's table uh, there and uh, just had a specific message in preparation before we uh, took of the elements. But it's good to be back in uh, the book of Mark, and we're going to begin reading verse number 31, Mark chapter number 7 in verse number 31. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf, and had an impotent in his speech, impediment, excuse me, in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven he sighed, and saith unto him, Ephrathah that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak." If you had to answer the question, what are the ingredients of bold and courageous faith? What would you say? Just in your mind there. What are the ingredients of a bold and courageous faith? Several weeks ago, the last time we were in Mark, we we looked at... The woman that comes to Jesus and breaks through the crowd and kneels down, literally just worshiping Him, begging Him to heal His daughter that had one demon where she was possessed with a demon. And we're going to reference her again here this morning. But now you come to this text as well. and The ingredients of a bold faith. And that's what I've entitled this morning's message. Ingredients of a bold faith. But I wonder... I wonder what you would put in the recipe of a bold faith. Let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, I come before you, and uh, Lord, I've been so anxious all week to uh, just to teach and preach today. And uh, Lord, I'd, I've missed our people. And Lord, I, I, you know I, I miss my family uh, when I'm away on these types of studies. And God, but I, I just pray that, uh, that Lord, we, we would meet with you right now. I pray this would not just be religious tradition that we're doing but that, God, we've come literally to behold You in the pages of Your Word. And, Lord, I pray that I would be accurate with Your Scripture. Lord, I submit to Your Holy Spirit working in my life. And, Lord, I desire only to say what would honor You and glorify You. I pray that You would remove from my mind anything that You would have me not say. And then, Lord, I pray that You would strengthen the boldness in me to say what You would want me to say. And God will give you the glory for everything that's said and done. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ingredients of a a bold faith. Have Have you ever wondered why some people seemingly have kind of a shaky and timid faith and others have a bold, robust, and strong faith? Maybe you have seasons of that or maybe you've just watched others that have this bold faith. We really do see... In Mark chapter number seven, an example of this shocking bold faith, and you got to remember the the, the the situation in which this faith is often lived out in were these hostile environments where the religious crowd had begun to trap Jesus, and they were looking for every opportunity to do so. And so, for people that were not of the you know covenant um, relationship, so to speak, where they couldn't call upon jesus as the son of david as this woman did earlier in this chapter it was risky it was bold to come into scenarios like this and we see another case here a couple weeks ago when we saw this gentile canaanite woman crying out to receive help from jesus she pushes her way through the group that was in this crowd and she falls down at the knees of jesus and begs him of her only hope to restore her daughter that was demon-possessed. And as we learned, this woman was crossing age-old religious boundaries. She was crossing age-old ethnic and social boundaries to get her need to Jesus. And this woman's faith is in stark contrast to the disciples that we've studied, that we've learned about. We've learned that they had a dull understanding. We learned that they had a hardened heart at the feeding of the 5,000, at the maniac of Gadara. They saw Jesus walking on the water and they've seen the, uh, the, the deaf here and all of those things, yet they just, didn't, they just didn't get it. In the moments they should have trusted Christ, they questioned Him in moments where they should have uh, believed in Him, they wondered if He was present. They wondered if He had their best interest in mind. I wonder if you've ever thought, God, do you care? God, are are you working in this situation? These disciples, they didn't have the ingredients, so to speak, of the faith that this dear woman had that we... Uh, looked at earlier in this chapter who lived outside of the covenant community. Hear me, true faith is found often in unlikely places by unlikely people. I wonder how many of you in this room have grown up in church. You've been in thousands and thousands of services. Whether it's prayer services or worship services or a mixture of all of them and a time of teaching and preaching, I wonder if you still have that strong, robust faith that you had early on. Oftentimes, it's in the most unlikely places. It's in the most unlikely people that you see this amazing belief you we, we have followed the disciples may I remind you that mark is one of the disciples mark penned through the inspiration of the holy Spirit the, the, this gospel afterwards but he's walking with Christ and often he's describing even himself in the text and they're walking with Jesus they're seeing everything firsthand and yet they seem to always be missing it yet the woman earlier in this chapter this group in the text that we just wrote read they They get to Christ with this amazing, bold faith. And Mark, in a very real way, from page after page, he's dismantling the pride of the religious establishment. And when you see the the acts of this dear woman and and these people to bring this man, and you see her courage, you have to ask the question, what is it that produces this kind of faith? What is it that when, when the culture around would have not been conducive for this? What is it that produced this amazing, bold faith in Christ? And what is it that will produce amazing, bold faith for Christ in 2019? Getting ready to go into 2020 where the culture seemingly is against that type of faith. What is the soil of that kind of response? Well, I would say to you that there simply are two ingredients to this kind of faith. Desperation and hope. Desperation and hope. So let's start here this morning with the ingredient of desperation. Living faith is deeper than illogical knowledge. Let me me say that again. A living, deep, strong, robust faith is deeper than theological knowledge faith is rooted in an understanding of the desperateness that one's condition brings see the problem with the pharisees and and the scribes and the religious if you allow me to say this the religious culture of jesus's day and if you want that to step on your toes allow it to but what the problem with the religious definitely the pharisees in jesus's day is that they felt no need and we see that throughout the pages of Mark. We've seen that throughout these chapters. But there is one key place that Luke lets us in on. In Luke 18, there's a Pharisee, and he's in the temple, and he's praying. It says in Luke 18, 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee, and the other, a publican. Before you go on, remember, a publican, those were the, those were the outcasts. Those were, you know, uh, those that, you know, oh, they just people didn't, people didn't like them. They were the ones, ah, you know what? We don't want them in our group, right? So you got a Pharisee and you have a publican. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything wrong with fasting? Yes or no? Nope. Is there anything wrong with giving? Nope, not at all. He's saying, he's, he's, he's kind of giving his clout. And I'm so glad I'm not like this, like this publican. Verse 13, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbled himself shall be exalted. Can I give you Ryan's version of that prayer? God, I just, I just want to announce that I don't need you. You know, I, I recognize that there's other people that do. You know, there's, there's those poor, poor, needy people. But I don't. And surely this woman has seen the evidence of how desperate this condition is for her daughter. There is this evil spirit that has overtaken her and it's radically altered her life and there's, and there's nothing that this woman can do. Isn't that a picture of all of our conditions? We are born with a condition, sin, that leads to death. Literally in the garden, God said, hey, if you eat of this tree, you are going to surely die. And we've seen death. Every single generation after generation for thousands of years. But God meant more than just physical death. He meant spiritual death. And this death cannot be fixed on its own. There's nothing that we can do about it. And for all of our desire to tell others that we are righteous, for all of our desire to tell others that that, that we are okay just like that, Pharisee would have. The truth of the matter is, is that there is a tragic and desperate condition that you and I are in, and apart from grace, and apart from Jesus, and apart from the cross, and apart from salvation, there is nothing that we can do. And not only is our condition desperate, we are utterly unable to alter it. It would be one thing if my problem was this deep, dark evil in the fallen world around us, if that was the only problem, because then I could try to isolate myself from it. I could kind of separate from it. But when I realized that my deepest, darkest problem comes from within... That it brings about a desperateness within me. And so once again, this little miracle moment that we've seen throughout the book of Mark, it presents to us the message of the gospel. Maybe the first thing that God does in the glory of His grace to you and to me is He opens our eyes and hearts to the depth of our need. You want bold faith? You're going to have to be desperate for it a desperateness, a realization that we need God. And I believe the second ingredient would be hope. Hope. Because hope always has an expectation. Hope always, listen to me, hope always has an object. How many of you hope you have a great Christmas? Right? Come on. I know you feel like you're in kindergarten, right? You hope you have a great, I love Christmas. I love, I love it. Decorated this year, we're not uh, doing any traveling. I'm thankful for that just to be home and with the fireplace and the Christmas tree. And you know what? Oftentimes, if we really think about it, take a step back and think about it, what is your hope found in for Christmas? You know, hey, a good Christmas is, is, you know, the family's getting together, right? We oftentimes will, a hope always has an object. Hey, I hope the Whatever, maybe you're making a turkey steak whatever it is you hope it turns out you hope it snows wouldn't that be cool if it snowed here right yeah maybe so i had snow over thanksgiving it was crazy we got like six or seven inches it was nuts it's never snowed where we were at before at thanksgiving time and so you know what i'll take 80 degrees on christmas yes. me and kyle man 80 shorts and flip-flops woohoo i can be hopeful right Listen, hope always has an expectation and it always has an object, always. And so true faith not only owns its personal desperation, but it owns the reality that hope can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow, way, this woman, she had, she had heard about this one from Nazareth. She had heard maybe about the maniac of Gadara, where thousands of demons had been brought out of her. Remember a couple weeks ago I said this, and she's coming to Jesus, and she's hopeful. Hey, my hope is in Jesus. I'm desperate. Can you cast out one? One? And she didn't care. She didn't care who she was maybe offending by coming into that arena. And so when you get to that place where where you know your object is Jesus and you need to get to Him, listen, you don't care what people think about you. You don't care about your reputation or your image. You don't care about the social norms. You don't care about the religious constraint. You're going to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus to beg for deliverance. That is what faith does. It makes you humble desperate and then you get so encouraged because your hope is found in Christ I was thinking and praying over this passage this week and early on in the week I began to prepare this message I started with this Sunday and kind of went forward for that but I was reminded of what Paul said in Colossians 2 verse 6 as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord So walk ye in him. How did you receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Humbly. Desperately. Do you remember the day when you realized that you needed Jesus? Do you remember the day when you came to the realization that you are a sinner? That you are broken and separated from God and the only hope was Christ? Do you remember that day? That's how you came to Him. And Paul is saying, hey, as ye therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk ye in Him. May that desperation and may that hope mobilize us day after day after day after day. Because I desperately still need the rescuing work of the redeeming grace that is found in Christ. Because here's what I know. I know that I'm (laughs) I'm not there yet. I can look back on the last several days without my family, I know that I have not been there yet. And so I need the rescuing power of the grace of Jesus Christ. I hope this morning, I mentioned this in a prayer, I hope that what brought you this morning was not just religious habit. I would hope that what brought you to this room was a desperate hope and that you're here with a heart of faith. You are here, as it were, in your seat right now, on your knees, so to speak, begging once again for the rescuing grace for the weeks ahead. Mark 7, verse 31, And again, departing from the coast of Tyre, and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coast of Decapolis, and they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment of his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. Christ, he returns to the region of the Galilee and they bring him to a man who's deaf and who has a speech issue most likely he might not have been deaf at birth maybe at one point he lost his hearing and he already had an ability to speak and so now there's more of an impediment we, we, we don't necessarily know but, but 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 the man is deaf the man cannot hear and the man cannot the man cannot speak in a way where people can understand it and as he's brought by the others, they they beg Jesus to lay hands on him. And Jesus takes this man aside, and he and he does something very striking. Jesus sticks his fingers in his ears. And how weird is that? I don't like it. Don't, get out of my ears! I mean, maybe an maybe ear Q-tip. I know we're not supposed to do that. I get that. You those of you in the medical field, I just broke the rules. I get it. But Jesus, he he takes his fingers and he sticks it in his ear and then medically you're also not supposed to do this man he spits in his hand Ooh, right he puts that saliva on his tongue read it it's in the text that's what jesus does he they bring this man he's he's deaf and he's he's got a speech impediment he, he, he can't quite speak jesus can can you heal him i mean what bold faith and jesus sticks his finger in his ears and Jesus spits in his hands and puts his hand to the tongue of this man. Now What is, what is Jesus doing? It's as if in this moment Jesus is picturing how, how his power works. Jesus literally touches this man. He literally invades his dead ears with the life of his fingers. It is the life of Christ touching these dead organs and transforming them to life. It is the life of literally the spit of Christ touching the tongue of this man, transforming it. Jesus looks up and He prays that simple prayer, be opened. And the man's ears are opened and his tongue released. This is a demonstration. This is, this is, this is like a metaphor. Isn't that what Christ does for all of us? He does not stand aside and just announce life. He does not just preach life. He does not just predict that life is possible. He does not just promise life for that person. He is life. Jesus, he he invades your dead soul. He invades our dead life, and he gives us life-giving spirit. Paul put it this way, and we understand this more. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is the new life that the believer receives? It's Christ. Your hope is in Jesus. And Jesus doesn't, he doesn't stand apart. See, as a preacher, I stand, uh, you know, I stand apart from you. I am proclaiming to you. I pray for you. I hope for you. I, I, I plead for you. But I can't invade you. My man, Jesus does. And when Jesus invades you with his life, listen to me, you come alive. Behold, all things are become new. He takes what was dead. He takes what was what was sinful and, and just a, a, a life that was worthless, so to speak. And he breathes life into it. He breathes faith. A bold one. That can go into 2020 and have radical faith. This is what Jesus does. A heart that was dead now lives. A heart that was dead now believes and desires to obey and to worship. And all the evidence is that there is life. Verse 36, And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure Astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the dead to hear and the dumb to speak. See, after the miracle, Jesus begins to say, Hey, I don't want you to, I don't want you to tell everybody. Jesus doesn't want to just be known as the miracle worker because there's a central mission that Jesus was on. He's not just there to do miracles, he's here to preach the gospel of the kingdom. That's how Mark chapter 1 begins. He's here to preach the gospel of the kingdom. But may I say this? It's not just a message, it's an actual sacrifice. And it's his sacrifice. He was getting ready to lay his life down so we could experience life. Yet these people, <laughs> they're not quiet. That's not what they do. It's almost like the more Jesus told them not to, he said, hey, he charged them the more and more. They, they didn't listen. And I want you to consider for a minute the words that kind of that kind of end this. this passage Mark ends it with this wonderful little testimony of the people he does all things well what a thing for you to say to yourself over and over and over again Jesus does all things well would you say it with me Jesus does all things well hey I want to believe it ready go let's try it again, Jesus does all things well. All of them. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially. He conquered death. His, his death and his sacrifice, it, it, was, it was sufficient for God. All of his promises are faithful. His power is perfectly displayed. Every thought, every desire, every intention of Christ is trustworthy, and it is good. Jesus, he does all things well. Listen to me. That is your central hope. That is what you cling to in a world that is reeking of of need, yet they don't even know it. This is your central hope. This is the wonderful truth for you to repeat to yourself again and again and again. Jesus does all things well. Why? Because you don't. You all right with that? Jesus, hey, He does all things well because you and I don't. Your hope is not in your situation this week. Your hope is not in the the ease of Of your life. Your hope is not found in your job and in relationships and in your house and in your financial status. Listen to me. Your hope is found in Christ. There is one place where security of life and hope and rest and peace can be found, and it is in this Jesus does all things well, and He desires to be your Savior. He desires to take dead and make it life. There's never a bad thing that comes from him. There's never a questionable thing that comes from him. He's never been prejudiced. He's never worthy of our doubt. He never bends the rules. He never acts in ugly self-interest. He's never disloyal. He's never unfaithful. He's never broken a promise. Jesus does all things well it's a beautiful anthem isn't it (laughs) let's try it again jesus does all things well beautiful thing to say but i want you to notice something this anthem of praise lives in the same heart as disobedience does in this passage that's scary but it's true what it means is it is possible for great praise and disobedience to exist in the same heart it's possible for us and man mike could pick some awesome songs for us to sing the truths that we have sung this morning and have a prideful sinful heart two minutes later Or we can be talking to somebody and they can be sharing with us the blessings of their life and we have a heart of envy. And we have a heart of covetousness. Man, I wish I had that while they are celebrating what they've been given. Or we can sing a hymn of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and we can walk out of the room and be less gracious to someone than God has been to us. See, theology and self-rule they can live together biblical theology and worldliness can live together and since that is the case i want you and i to begin to ask ourselves this question do the truths that i speak and sing and we sang some good ones do they live in joyful submission to the lordship of jesus christ I mean, what do you think about that? The words that we just sang. Let us adore angels we have heard on high. Behold our God. Do the things that we sing on a weekly basis that lift up Christ. Is that lived out in joyful submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Can I word it another way? Does your Monday through Saturday reflect your Sunday? I mean, think about that. Say, Ryan, I'm so glad I came to church. Yeah, we are. This is called uncomfortable grace. It's a grace of God that he would would show us in the sex. Why? Here's why. Because, listen, Jesus does all things well. And you can go into your Monday. He can be your hope. You can go into Tuesday, and he could be your hope. But listen, you, I brought these questions up at the end for the very reason to show us our desperateness. Because sometimes my Monday doesn't match my Sunday. And sometimes my Sunday mornings don't match when I get up. I love to preach. I think you can tell. Love it. Does the things that I say, does the theology that I know, does... The Bible that I claim to hold so dearly, does the love for Christ that I have, does that cause a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so on, submission to Jesus Christ's lordship in my life? See, it's very clear that Mark is pointing us again to the radical truth that this Jesus of Nazareth, this Christ, the As Mark said, the Son of God is our only hope. Jesus, He does all things well. And the faith that embraces His work is a faith that is rooted in a need for that work and then a hope that is found in the One that can do all of the work. It backs away from all of the other hopes. You don't find your hope in your spouse. You don't find your hope in that paycheck. You don't find your hope in a a, a friendship. You don't find your hope in any of that. Your hope is found on Jesus Christ, the solid rock I stand. Jesus. It's our only hope. He's the hope of one of you in this room who's never yet acknowledged the depth of your need to be saved from your sin, someone who may may even in your heart right now at this moment, you're arguing with the diagnosis that I have delivered this morning. And whether you're admitted or not, Jesus is your only hope. Come to Him. For those of you who have already placed your trust in Him, He continues to be your only hope. Because every day, somehow, some way, you and I, we demonstrate our continual need for him. And you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for Mark. I'm thankful for how he, man, he's a heavy hitter. I haven't really gone to a lot of the other Matthew, Luke's, and John's for the reason of, I like Mark's perspective. It's such a mirror into my life. And you know what I want to admit before you this morning? I need him. Desperately need him. And I'm so glad that the hope always has an expectation. The expectation is that Jesus does all things well. What a great object. What a great anthem. May the anthem that we sing as a church be the way that we live our lives Monday through Saturday. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you ask the Lord right now in your heart to help you to allow the anthem of Jesus does all things well with your daily life? these these two moments in the life of Christ, man, they're so rich. They depict, they, they depict his identity. They depict his grace, his power. And they accurately depict my continual need for him. Are you desperate? Are you desperate? Or are we like, yeah, so and so needs you. That publican needs you. I'm good. Can we admit? And we need the grace, and the power of God to continue to work in our life.